And it really is. I mean, nurture existing relationships. Don't let them go. Don't let them go. Nurture them. It's like you can't go out to the car and expect it to run without petrol or diesel. But you can't expect your friendship to keep going if you don't put something into it. Hello, and welcome to another in our Human Givens podcast series. I'm Julia Wellstead, and today I'm going to be discussing loneliness and social isolation with Carmel Austin. Now, after nearly three decades working and studying in the health and social care sector, Carmel set up her own wellbeing practice in 2016. So she brings a wide breadth of knowledge and experience to her practice, and she's particularly interested in helping people deal with loneliness and social isolation. This is an interest which stems from her time managing West Norfolk Befriending, where she was employed to set up and develop a service to help tackle the growing problem of loneliness. Hello, Carmel. Morning, Are you there? Hello. Thank you. You're there. Good. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is one of our essential human needs, isn't it? That of connection. And why social isolation and loneliness is so bad for our health is what we want to talk about today. But it would be lovely, Carmel, if you could begin by telling us a bit about how you discovered the Human Givens approach and how it informs the way you work with people. Um, I'm a great believer in synchronicity. And back in 2015, I was working for the Stroke Association and was becoming very much aware of the increasing numbers of people with anxiety and depression post-stroke. Where the synchronicity comes in is a colleague in the sector from the NHS emailed, and on the email, as simple as this, it had HG diploma after her name, and not one to sit on things. I looked it up, and oh my goodness, I thought that's what I've been looking for, um, because I knew we needed to do something to address it quite quickly because the clinical psychologists were inundated and of course the waiting lists were, were quite long and as a stroke prevention coordinator I sort of took it on myself to start to you know with their agreement to start to do something. I went to London ASAP and I did the guided imagery and the introduction to anxiety and quickly following that I, I went to Bath to uh, Bindi Gauntlet and Alex Dansfield, the innate, and I did the innate cards training. And I brought all this back to the stroke survivors and carers, and absolutely brilliant. And the journey went on from there. And in 2016, I decided to actually, when I say leave the Stroke Association, I've never fully left because I still do work for them, but I decided to leave to set up my own practice and to concentrate on finishing the, the Human Givens. I actually tripped over the Human Givens approach in the same way by just seeing those letters at the end of somebody's name and wondering what it oh, was. So, yes. Very yeah, interesting, isn't it? And if like you, Julia, for me, lots of people had said to me, why don't you do the counselling or psychotherapy? And this had gone on for years since I had completed my psychology degree. And I time and time again looked into counselling and time and time again thought, no, just doesn't sit right, just doesn't sit right. And then the human givens, I thought, oh my goodness, yes, yeah, that's yeah. that's now sounding. And then when I went on to it, I thought, oh my God, this is, is brilliant. So one of the uh, vital emotional needs that we talk about within the human givens approach is the need for connection. Why is there a need for connection? Why is that so important? 
That, that's a big question indeed, isn't it? Um, yes. I mean, it, it is just vital, absolutely vital. I wish I had known about the human givens when, when I set up Western Offer Befriending. And, and interestingly, I was using bits of it, obviously, without knowing that there was a, such a framework available to me. And so that was my sort of... But not first introduction to it because I'd seen it in my nursing and in my teaching as well. But I really, really was obviously knee deep in it in West Norfolk Befriending because it was set up to, you know, in this area, in the West Norfolk area, to reach people who were socially isolated. And then when I went to Stroke Association, you know, the same again, people were, were very isolated. So the, the theme runs through everything. I mean, it's just what... It's what makes us human, isn't it? It's that need for connection. It just makes the world seem like a better place. We have a a reason for being here. It's just vital. In fact, it's a lifesaver. That's how it's talked about now. It, It actually saves lives. Connection harks back to us being a pack animal. So, of course, being isolated, you've only got to look at a kid in a school playground who's not being included to see how miserable that is. And in group situations, because I, I run a lot of, of groups and, and have done for, for a number of years in the sector here, I run lots of groups for carers. And if, if some of them know one another, they immediately sit together and then someone comes in on their own and they're left, they're just left sitting there on their own. And it's, yeah. Of course, it's not just actually miserable. Yeah. In oh, our no. brains, we think yes. we're isolated, we're in danger yeah. of being eaten or... Yes. Oh, absolutely. And the the lead on then, as we know, and the knock-on effect, not just mentally, but also emotionally, behaviorally, physically, our health suffers. So it's also a lifesaver, really. You know, when we have pain or when we have digestion or whatever we have in the body, it's a sign that there's something wrong, isn't it? And it's the same if we're socially isolated and we remain so and we start to get lonely and then things start to happen. It's the, again, the alarm bells we need to do something. Yes, which, which of course actually brings us on to the next question. What can happen when we feel lonely or isolated? Well, everyone needs somebody. And if we haven't got anybody or we perceive it that way, we very, very quickly start to turn inwards. We start to live in our own heads and we stop looking outwards. And the more we look into our own heads... What happens? We've got the misuse of that wonderful imagination because it's in the imagination, if misused, that we start to catastrophize, to worry, to ruminate. Small things become bigger, don't they? If, if you've got nobody else to talk to and nobody to share things with and you're living in your own head, it just becomes so big and then we become less inclined, actually, to reach out the more we spend time on our own. It becomes harder to reach out to people. So the resulting, I mean, as I've definitely seen firsthand, is that effect of the stress response on the body. I mean, it was just, you know, you would just see it happening in front of you that if people don't start to mix and don't start to share things with people, they really do start to become physically ill. And I know there's, the, you know, the mind-body connection, etc. But it, it is, I mean, it, you know, there's indicators now that that stress, if not 
addressed, it does lead to the high blood pressure, all sorts of things, diabetes, heart disease, it's linked to heart disease. Some of the cancers are linked to the, to the same thing. So it really, I think the stress is, is the big thing that happens because it, 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 our need for survival, as we say, and the need for connection is part of our need for survival. And we become stressed if that doesn't happen. And so over time, those chemicals coming into the body start to fire off different things within the body. And if we don't know how to address this, the results are, as we say, it comes out in health. And behaviorally, people start to do even less because if they start to become ill or chronically ill or, or however you want to describe it, of course then... They don't want to mix. Yes. yes. Yeah. I think it was um, our colleague Pat Williams who told me this actually, that the famous author Doris Lessing had a neighbour who quite rapidly had gone into a sort of decline and was getting into all sorts of physical medical problems. And Doris was surprised and sort of took a look at this and, and realised the woman was very isolated. And Doris actually put herself through. She said, well, I wonder what hap- would happen to me if I stopped talking to anyone and stopped mm. going out and stopped. I think she also kind of stopped eating and sleeping. And, and she said her report was that within a week or two, she yeah. was in a complete mess herself. So it's amazing how quickly it, it really is. It's, it's quite frightening. I had it years ago when I had a back injury and I had to give up nursing. I, I was only qualified a year. And shortly after that, my husband left and it was just, yeah, it, you, you, yeah. Your example there shows how quickly things can tumble because yes. an injury, yeah. having to stop work, a divorce, yeah. all, you know, it's, these things can all sort of pile on top of each other quite quickly. Of course, there are numerous situations and circumstances that can cause someone to feel isolated, bullying, social anxiety, physical or medical disabilities. So it can sort of happen either way around that. The work I did at Stroke Association, I mean, very quickly, I mean, as you know, because your background is in nursing, um, with stroke, it, it just happens overnight. And what I noticed as well here in West Norfolk were the amount of sort of what I would call the younger people, working age people that were experiencing stroke. And it was just life changing overnight for them, for the significant other, for children living in the home for the whole family for couples it it was just life-changing and it depended on the type of stroke because I mean communication difficulties people are then isolated aren't they but also the disabilities there could be cognitive there could be physical disabilities so many people I mean I, I was very lucky because I was able to visit people in their own home what was initially very interesting, Julia, was the amount of people who actually said to me when I went to visit them, would stress have, have caused this? You know, if, if I had a pound for every time a client said that or the, or the husband or wife said it to me, oh, they were very stressed before this happened. Um, and then once the stroke happened, they were just focused on getting out of hospital And they weren't interested in beyond living beyond stroke because they were interested in whatever physical or cognitive disabilities were going on at that that moment. Just that desperation to get back to 
to get home. And they thought once they'd get home, everything would be back to normal. That is when the isolation and the loneliness started. You could see it as soon as a community team pulled out, which is usually they can go in possibly six weeks, sometimes more, sometimes less. That's when the person started to realise, oh, this is not going away. This is not going to change. I have to now live with this. And so the concentration on physically getting better sort of left them and they were left with these feelings of stress, of anxiety, missing the need for meaning and purpose, the need for connection, the need for community, because if they'd been working, that was gone. If the partner had been retired and they were involved in things in the community and then the other person had the stroke, then they were stuck in as a carer and it was like a vicious cycle. Absolutely, and it strikes me that it's, it's like a bereavement, everything you're oh, saying. Oh, gosh, yeah. But also this is a bereavement because you've suddenly lost yeah. your physical fitness or your employment or you know, whatever it is that's changed. So yeah. I think the, the, the question here is how can we prepare for such events? The only certainty in life is uncertainty. Yes. Is definitely true. And I think you have to keep reaching out. You have to keep reaching out. And the lonelier you get, the more you have to reach out. And I know that that sounds difficult. And that's the paradox, actually, isn't it? it? Is because the lonelier you get, the less likely you are to... Yeah. You really do have to, to reach out in some sort of way, in small ways. And this is where us as human given therapists come in. We, we can help people with that. And certainly at some of my well-being groups, it, it gets you know people thinking and gets them to look at things in a different way. And nurture existing relationships. Sue Saunders did a wonderful podcast on friendship and it really is I mean nurture existing relationships don't let them go don't let them go nurture them it's like you can't go out to the car and expect it to run without petrol or diesel but you can't expect a friendship to keep going if you don't put something into it that's also a problem though isn't it because when we are fully functioning and busy and working and bringing up families and it is very easy to neglect friendships yes yeah and that is what happens and I always think of the life boxes I think it's Susan Jeffers feel the fear and do it anyway yes and I use it all the time using these nine boxes and what are you filling your boxes with and she explained it beautifully uh, far better than I'd be able to do now but if you fill one box so full that the other boxes are, are, are ignored then if whatever is in that one box, whether it's work or your relationship or your children, if you take that one big box away and your other boxes aren't filled, you've got nothing. So you do need to do that. You you need to do that. And I I think um, to a certain extent, perhaps the younger people now in the workplace, they're looking at the work-life balance. And I think that's a good thing. But also the other thing to prevent it is embracing new friendships. We all get into our little groups, don't we? And Yes, and then you know, tend, tend to neglect yeah, uh, yeah. or not bother yeah. with new yeah. stuff. Actually, the older we get, we need to keep making younger friends even. It's something I come across because I tend to live in very rural, small communities. And right. you do tend to right. therefore... 
you meet people from all age groups quite naturally. And that's whereas, brilliant. Which brilliant. is great, yes. But yeah. I'd never actually thought of that as a, as a thing. So thank you for that. Do you have any examples of when you've helped someone to overcome loneliness? Yeah, loads, because it, it's been such a big thing in all the jobs I've done. And the big thing that I will say to help people is, is through volunteering. It really is a huge thing. And when I was at Befriending, I had so many examples of people that that we may help who might have been bereaved or, or whatever. And then suddenly they would start to volunteer. And in fact, one of the ladies had lost her husband and they were only in their late 40s. A very, very difficult time for her. And she had stopped working to care for him. You know, the classic stuff, Julia, you'd have yes. seen this in nursing. And then suddenly, you know, you put all your energies into caring that, for that person. And when they're gone, suddenly we're back to those boxes, aren't we? The, the rest of the boxes are empty and it's, oh my goodness, what now? Anyway, she joined me at West Norfolk Befriending as a volunteer. She's still there today and she was just instrumental in moving things forward along with myself and, and other key members of the trustee board. And it just completely changed her life. I mean, meaning and purpose, that sense of community, the connections she made, the friendships she made. It, it was just absolutely wonderful. And from there, we actually got other volunteers into the office. And again, lots of them, funnily enough, were through bereavement that they found themselves suddenly with no meaning and purpose. And so they came then to help. And we had roles like befriending buddies and sort of social people who were organizing the socials and things for the clients so volunteering is a huge thing there's something about volunteering because it gets away from the earning money scenario that it yes. becomes much clearer why you're doing it i rather like the idea of the stool legs of a stool if you've got less than three, you're going to fall over, basically. So, yeah. And it's so true, isn't it? So true. Yes. Yeah. And, and just to see it firsthand. I mean, what we did at Show Association is we set up things like a healthy lifestyle programme, Tai Chi, art groups, communication groups. And so running all of these groups, we had volunteers who were either stroke survivors or carers of stroke survivors. And of course, then the groups were for the, the stroke survivors and carers as well. So it was twofold in, in helping people. Because of course, you've got the physical or the activity as well as the being around yes. people. Now on one of our previous podcasts, which I think you might have mentioned um, about improving relationships, we discussed that sometimes any connection is better than none when someone is isolated. So they seek, you know, they might head towards alcohol or drugs or crime. How can we help people to avoid that scenario? It's, it's difficult and it's one, isn't it, that comes into the therapy room all the time because our whole life is built around relationships, isn't it, in some way or another. In therapy, it's usually about those negative connections. And as you say, that it's any, any connection is better than none. And yeah, one good example I, I have is of a lady, bless her, who, who came. I run retreats here from Oakley, my business here. And uh, she was in a really horrible situation. And with her 
other half and the GP had even said if you don't get out soon it, it's not him who's going to die it is actually yourself and she couldn't to start with at all and then here she saw one of the things I've got up is that um, saying it's, it's on my website about that sometimes in life we have to make a choice to take a chance or nothing ever changes Yes, and that yes. just resonated with her. And a year later, when she came on another retreat, she had actually set up home herself and had got away from him. And not only that, Julia, which was very interesting, is he had actually started because that need in us, isn't it? That need for connection, because she no longer was there, he actually had to emerge out of that front door and make connections himself as well. And my goodness, that had gone on for years, that situation. So that's a very extreme example where it just goes around in a vicious circle. Sometimes within a relationship, both people can be, albeit maybe unwittingly, preventing the other from getting their needs met. Yes. And, and, and often people don't see that when they're in it and they don't realise that if they make the move, they could actually help in that other person. And another example of those negative connections is with friendships. And, and I think Sue may have even discussed that. I said earlier about nurturing friendships, but I call them sustainers and drainers. I don't know yes. what you call them. And, and I sort of challenge people with if they are coming into the therapy room and they're going over the same story with the same person over and over again. And you think, well, first time, shame on them. But after that, you have to start thinking, shame on me for putting up with this. What you're talking about here is uh, a friendship that's drains you or in in some way kind of uh, prevents you from getting your needs met yes absolutely but sometimes people need help don't they then to help them see that that's draining them because they don't yeah I said it there now as if everybody should understand what that means and of course they don't sometimes do they that they don't realize that they have choices in this and they don't need to put up with it and that can be right client of mine had exactly that, that she had a friend who it was clear was draining her, but she was scared to lose that one friend. What I had to help her see was that because of that one friend, she was unable to make a wider array of friends. How does social isolation during childhood affect our development? That's another good one Um, for children, you know, for their well-being and just their whole lives are going to be around relationships. So to learn that and be influenced by that when they're younger, if this doesn't happen, as we know, and and we talked earlier about that stress response, if that's within children, which it will be if they're very socially isolated, that comes out then in adulthood, doesn't it, in health problems or being psychologically unable to mix with people or to form lasting relationships. It it can have that effect. And also I believe that it can affect education. I I know that's a bit of a sweeping statement. And that's why I say can do. It doesn't always, because in fact, sometimes people do actually very well in education because of the experiences. But for some, it it does affect them um, in education as well. But it's that stress response again, isn't it? We're, we're back to this again and that um, 
just unable and the looking inwards people then if they're not taught to look outwards and and to form those relationships they begin to live in their own in their own heads and of course as a child if you're socially isolated you're not learning how to interact but in later life with retirement or bereavement or a family having grown up and left that can cause a social isolation can't it loneliness yeah hugely it's amazing isn't it um how much so because all of the the things you mentioned retirement even the loss of a loved one in some way all of those things we know we actually know they're going to happen don't we 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 know they're going to happen well that's the thing how do you prepare yes i mean i've I've had it myself my three children all left and it does leave one feeling wobbly doesn't it yeah, how do you plan for it? And I do find that interesting. It is in, in the planning a little bit. And I think with couples as well, to retain a, a sense of themselves, one another as well as individually, as well as separate from the children, if you see what I mean, so that then... It, it's we're, we're back to the legs of the stool, aren't we? Or the boxes, yeah, yeah, you know, you, ha- yeah, you have to yeah. have other things... You have to have other things, definitely. And I know with retirement as well, that what can happen is that both, you know, can sometimes be so excited about retiring that they forget that the mundane, because obviously work gives us a structure, doesn't it? And it fulfills so many of our needs, doesn't it? Let's face it. I mean, work, that need for community, the connections we make, the status, the meaning of purpose. And suddenly you might be absolutely so looking forward to retirement and then you finish on the Friday and you wake up on the Monday and that sense of meaning and purpose is gone. gone. And sometimes you you don't realise the effect that will have. So I've seen many people who, who have struggled with it and the way through it definitely is to, we're back to the boxes and the stool, aren't we? Have other yes. things in your life. We were speaking about earlier with bereavement or having a stroke or something with giving up work, with retiring, the feeling of isolation might not happen immediately. You know, you've you've probably organised a holiday, you've probably got family coming for Christmas, you've probably got plans for six months to a year, but it's after that that it kicks in. And I've got a few people in my head as I'm speaking. In those cases, it was the female that retired first and, of course, had a great time, was doing lots of different things and and all the rest. And then the the husband retired. And obviously, and yes, they had a great time to start with, as you said, and they're going on holidays doing this, that and the other. And what can happen is they forget about the friendships or maybe the volunteer role that they had. And then suddenly when when it wears off the sort of holiday feeling, as you say, they're then suddenly, what do we do now? They're sat looking at themselves and the four walls and you need to do do things together. We're back to balance, aren't we? Which is what Human Givens is all about. Do things together, but also have you separate. And also um, a classic error, which my own parents made actually, was when my father retired, they moved to a different area because they wanted to live out in the country. And, you know, there are all sorts of good reasons for it. But of course, in doing so, they left their circle of friends. So within two years, they actually moved back again. There's this wonderful 
I'm going to retire, we're going to do this, we're going to have a bigger garden, blah, blah, blah. But if you're losing friends in the process or the regular connection to them, then that's Oh, classic. And Julia, with West Norfolk befriending, because of, I don't know if you know that I'm based here in Norfolk, and uh, Norfolk is very, very beautiful, and they're a big retirement area. And of course, what we were finding were people were retiring. They'd been holidaying in Norfolk, then retired here, exactly as you say they left family and friends behind came here had an absolute ball for however long and then if they didn't make the networks and this is what we found that then something would happen one of them be it either they would die or they have a massive stroke or something and then you haven't got your networks you've got nobody and you become isolated as we said very quickly so that was very very common in the referrals we were receiving, you could just say majority of them were people who had retired into the area and not made the networks. And you need the networks. You need the networks, definitely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, many people get a pet to help with loneliness. I think that probably does help a lot. But do we need human connection over and above that? That's that's an interesting one, isn't it? And I think we're back again, aren't we, to the the balance. I mean, it definitely definitely helps, Julia. Definitely. I mean, it gives that sense of of meaning and purpose. Somebody has to get up out of bed if they've got a pet. They've got to get up. If it's a dog, they've got to walk it, or else they're getting somebody in, like the Cinnamon Trust, to walk the dog. So there's that connection, isn't there? They've got to feed it. It's that nurturing. And I think it it opens your heart again. That's what I saw with many, many clients. It, It opens your heart and that can start you again, mixing with people again. I mean, you don't want to go the other way. And I've seen the other extreme where people have a pet and then they won't go anywhere because they won't leave the pet. Ah, uh, that's yes. another extreme, isn't it, um, yeah. that you have to be careful of. But I think in the main, but yes, I, I would still say you do need the human connection as well but at least if you have a pet you've got somebody to talk to yeah yes I did talk to my dog Shadow um I talked to him all the time and he answered oh yes yes I talk to my dog all the time yes absolutely (laughs) Uh, yeah and it's it's just sometimes even that's what lots of people used to say to me that I mean they might especially in, in in Norfolk in some of the rural areas you probably experience the same they may not have been talking to somebody for a week talking to the animal whatever the animal was if that was a bird or a dog or a cat um, or a hamster they're talking so they said they're actually hearing the sound of their own voice yes I, I, this sounds very sad but it wasn't I giggled a lot I actually because I live alone with a very small dog and um, I had laryngitis a couple of years ago after a day or so I was wondering why the house seemed so quiet and I realised it was because I wasn't talking. Because <laughs> I'd lost my voice. <laughs> and I found as well, because I said earlier about when I had the back injury and my husband left and that, and, and we'd got a, a shadow then. He was a golden retriever and people were looking at me, you know how to get a dog with a, a back injury. And then um, yes, when my husband left, I mean, I, my son was only seven, but when he went off for the weekend, Julia, I mean, what could have been absolutely so lonely? Because you can just see Saturday and Sunday stretching out in front of you. 
But the dog, the shadow, I was taking the dog out. So the dog walk used to take hours. I'd be out, I'd meet people and chat. And Because remember, at that point, I wasn't working because I'd had to give up work because of my back. But yeah. just that act of getting out to the park or the, yeah. the dog yeah. walk area or the beach or whatever it is. And do you, did you find, because you said you had three children and, and I, I've, got, I've got one son, I found that people are more inclined to talk to you when you have a dog than a child even. Oh, definitely, yes. Point, <laughs> yeah, I thought it was hilarious. I had never thought about that, but you're quite right. Yes, they're, they're interested in the dog. Because the, the other person might be feeling socially isolated and, and maybe a bit nervous yeah. of approaching you, but yeah. they can focus on the dog and say, oh, what a beautiful dog, what breed is it? Sort of, you know, so it's an icebreaker in a sense, isn't it? When um, Shadow was on a young, when my ex-husband left, and I remember being on the field with my son, and he was only, as I said, seven. And that was my first introduction to realising how interested people are in pets. Because she just said, oh, oh, what a lovely boy. What's his name? And I said, yeah. Mark. She wasn't talking about Mark. She, she was talking about the dog. Yes. It's harder to approach people and talk about their children because that could be seen yes. as a little bit odd, couldn't it? Yes. Whereas yeah. with a dog, yeah. with a pet, you can certainly approach and start talking about the pet. So rather serious final question. Can people actually die from loneliness? Yes, worryingly, isn't it? Was it late last year or early this year at the government uh, starting now to encourage GPs to start to use the social prescribing because it's now seen there's I think there's one in three people suffering now with loneliness and social isolation and going back to what I said earlier about the stroke people asking me oh is this because of stress or whatever and and the way I always explained it to them was that it's it's the lifestyle factors If, if you do become stressed and lonely and isolated some of the lifestyle factors then, whether it's drinking or, or drugs or smoking, that can increase cancer when you're under pressure. And that's what obviously leads then to things like heart disease and, and stroke and diabetes, obesity. There's so many things now. And there is one bit of research that was saying that it is as lethal as smoking now. Lonely people are about 50% more likely to die prematurely than those with healthy social relationships. Social isolation can increase the chance of stroke by about 30% and a premature death by about 50%. I mean, it's quite scary, isn't it? And the thing that strikes me there is that learning about our human needs, our essential emotional needs and our resources can really stave that off because then people can understand that they really need to get that balance and to be speaking to people and diminish the levels of loneliness. It's such a, a useful framework to use, you know, with my groups, with different groups that I run. Using that needs model is it really makes people think and it's they realise that when they see it in black and white, but it really makes them think and start to consider. And because that's what we do in the group, start to consider then how they can start to get those needs met. 
because it, it's a real eye opener. Because often people don't make the connections, do they? Between they don't realise. Yes, yeah. and I think you yeah. mentioned that you use the innate cards. The cards actually help people to see what was going well. What was actually going well? Good point. Yeah, very good yeah. point. Yes. I, and yes. sometimes I, I remember, in particular, one lady that I went to see, and it was a fairly horrible situation for her. She was only young; she was only in her thirties, and it was just—it um, was another organisation. But they'd asked me to go across to see her as a one-off because of the type of work I was doing. I had the cards with me, and we looked at the cards, and it was actually really, really good because you could just see her changing. So she had the cards and I left her some quiet time and she was putting them into piles of what was she felt was going well and what wasn't. And one of the piles was really growing and you know what's coming. And I was thinking, okay, yeah, that's obviously the pile that's not going well. Oh my goodness, that was the pile that was going well. Thank you, Carmel, for covering Thank such you. an important topic. It's been a great chat. Your knowledge and advice has helped our listeners today, I feel very sure. It's certainly been very useful for me. Thank you, Julia. I had a look at your website this morning. It is full of useful information. And that is oakleywellbeing.co.uk. We'll put this link on the podcast page. Now to my listeners, if you would like to find out more about our nine essential emotional needs and our inbuilt resources that we all have in order to get our needs met, please do take a look at the Human Givens website. It's www.hgi.org.uk. And you can also find our Human Givens therapist register there if you'd like someone to talk to. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to share this with anyone who you think might benefit from listening, please do. Until next time, bye for now.